Sims complete, we're back again. And here I again, on my lonesome, my left-hand man, my right-hand man, well, my left, your right, Phil Sims is MIA again. And, uh, man, it's just unbelievable. I mean, talk about a team guy right here. Just, just leave me out here on my lonesome all again. And uh, he, don't worry, though, he sent me plenty of notes uh, his thoughts on the game. I just want to, you know, I want to talk to you real quick. You know, he had enough energy to talk to me on the phone for 30 minutes and tell me what to say for him, but he didn't have enough energy to come in here and actually do the show with me. So, uh, thanks a lot, Big Phil. Uh, I'm sure I'll hear more about that later on, though, uh, when he actually, you know what, last time, uh, the last two times that he wasn't here, he didn't even pay attention to the show. So don't worry. We're good on that too. So, uh, also shout out to, uh, to Luke, who is our producer and director here at IMP Studios. He was on vacation in the Bahamas uh, last week, and uh, when he was out there, he actually saw a shark. He saw a shark on the beach, and uh, fortunately, he was able to notify the lifeguard that there was a shark there, and uh, so shout out to Luke for just uh, saving all of the people over there in the Bahamas on their, their vacation for, from this, uh, what he thought was a bull shark. Uh, which is a very dangerous shark and a man-eater. So thank you, Luke, for, for helping all those people on vacation. He is back. He is well-tanned. He looks great. And here we are with Sims Complete again, getting ready for Wild Card Weekend. But before we get into Wild Card Weekend, we're going to do a little review on just the national championship. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be a part of ESPN and uh, the digital team there with Scooby McGaza, Sam Ravitch, uh, and we've been doing stuff for ESPN Digital, which is on YouTube. If you guys want to check it out, the college football show. We were honored to go to the Rose Bowl and to go to the national championship and see Michigan versus Washington, highly anticipated football game. And it, it didn't disappoint, for I think, for the most part. I know a lot of people out there probably would have liked to have seen a Michigan-Texas final, uh, maybe a little bit of a better matchup on both sides of the football in that one. Uh, but I was excited to see Michael Penix in person, of course, being selfish that way as a quarterback. And then really, again, just to see Michigan as a whole football team. In our show that we did before the game, you know, my main points were this. When I watch Michigan, I see an NFL football team out there. I really do. I thought they were a microcosm uh, of Harbaugh's brother, uh, John Harbaugh it, with the Baltimore Ravens, I thought they were a microcosm of, of that at Michigan, right? The, the Michigan Wolverines were exactly like the Baltimore Ravens in so many ways, right? Big, strong, physical, right? Really can, can win at the line of scrimmage, really good at running the football, controlling the pace and the tempo of the game. And it seemed like no matter what was going on throughout their entire season and even these last two games, even when they were uh, – outplaying their opponent, but the score was close, you never really felt like the other team had the upper hand. And that goes to just their coaching, the physicality of the football team, and the depth that they have on that football team. I don't know if they have any, you know, quote-unquote, like, superstar guys that are, like, the first, uh, you know, first-round picks or, or top ten picks, let's just say that. But I know one thing. They have a lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sunday. I, I would say that they have probably close to 25 players that I saw in that football field that will be playing on Sunday in some sort of role or capacity, right? And when you have that, that is a huge thing. One of the other big points that I thought was really interesting, too, is that we always discuss how college football is influencing the NFL, right? It's always college makes NFL better. Look at everything that they're doing in the college. This is the one example where the best team in the country is actually doing the exact opposite. 
they looked at the recipe for success on how to be successful in the in the NFL game, right? Harbaugh building that image and bringing it to the college level, right? Dominate the line of scrimmage and being effective in the running game, right? Great defensive line play, big defensive line players. Even Bill Parcells, you've heard Big Phil talk about it a lot of times. You know, big teams stay big. Fast teams get slow as the year goes on, and I feel like Michigan really was the epitome of that philosophy throughout the season. Very hard to just physically impose your will on this type of football team all year. So I think that was really one of the biggest things and the biggest takeaway for me against Alabama and against Mich uh, Washington, excuse me, is that both times that I saw Michigan, even when there was lulls in the game, there was never – any doubt that they were still the better football team, that they were still just one or two plays away from regaining momentum very easily because of their physical nature. It goes back to the year 2021, too, when Harbaugh asked his brother John, who on your staff would you be willing to, you know, uh, allow to, to come to, to our level at Michigan and help us out? And who does he send? He sends Mike McDonald, the now defense coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. He sends McDonald down there for a year, and all he does is produce a top 10 defense for the Michigan Wolverines at that level. He had never been a defensive coordinator, I believe, until at that point. He had been an assistant for a long time. Actually, you know what? I think he was a defensive coordinator, too, at another school, but I forget. I didn't write that down. But tons of experience, good NFL experience. He brings in McDonald. They bring in the same type of philosophy, right? Players that can play multiple positions, being strong at the line of scrimmage like we discussed, right? And just imprinting that NFL DNA into that culture, right? And that was a team, too, before that had lost five straight in a row to Ohio State. And you could tell that Harbaugh really needed to find a way to corral what Ohio State really leaned on, and that was being an explosive passing attack, really good with their explosive running backs and their history that they had there, right, and being able to crowd all those things that do, they do offensively and just win the physical battle. Bring in Mike McDonald, and now all of a sudden Michigan rips off three years in a row, beating Ohio State, being in the college football playoff three years in a row, and now finally this year, you know, capping it off with the national championship. And Jesse Minter replacing McDonald after that one year for these last two seasons, has done a phenomenal job of, of keeping that same identity to this football team. The depth, the seniority, the leadership, the, you know, my thing was going into it for Michigan, was the experience of failure good experience? You know, and there's a lot of examples where sometimes I feel like, you know, just because you you have had failures doesn't mean that you actually learn from them. It doesn't mean that they actually take the next step to make you a better team or a better player or coach later, right? In this case for Michigan, those failures, they learned from them. They got better. They understood where they were lacking in those fields. They improved on it, and they, full, they ultimately won the championship. Can't say enough, too, about just – the depth that they have on the defense, right? And let's just start, like, with their edge rushers, who I thought were really good football players. Brady McGregor, Derek Moore, Jalen Harrell, right? Fantastic players. Then in the interior, you got Mason Graham, Chris Jenkins, Kenneth Grant. Kenneth Grant had a monster sack in the football game, literally sat the left guard flat on his tush and just walked him back in the backfield and sacked Michael Penix. The only sack of the game, but still – Tremendous impact by all of these guys in that interior and exterior of the, of the defensive line. Constantly collapsing the pocket. 
constantly in the face of Michael Penix, making him uncomfortable, making him move out of the pocket a little bit more than maybe what he was used to, and constantly under duress. The other two guys that I think that really stand out to me, you know, didn't like go off the charts as far as uh, stats, and I know that uh, that Colson was a little banged up in this one too. Or no, excuse me, it was Michael Barrett who got banged up a little bit in this one, but just there are two middle linebackers, Junior Colson and Michael Barrett. You know, to me, it was, again, just like the Baltimore Ravens. They look like Roquan, Swick, uh, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen out there. You know, two guys that are just big, strong, physical, can rush the passer, great at tackling in space, great at just imposing, again, the physicality on the other team consistently with their hits. There was a few hits where, like, Junior Colson and Michael Barrett hit Dylan Johnson, the running back for Washington, so hard where I said to Scooby, you know, my partner on the ESPN Digital Show, I said, hey, man, like, both of those dudes just took a year off that young man's life right there because of how hard those impacts were, right? So I feel like, again, just the, the hitting aspect for Michigan really just paid huge dividends going on. The Joe Moore Award is awarded to the best offensive line in, in all of college football. That was awarded to the Washington Huskies. All year, people have been doubting this offensive line, doubting what they could do. Uh, they did a great job of holding up a little bit against Texas, even though it was really Michael Penix doing a great job of moving in the pocket a week ago. But this was one where Michigan won that battle. To me, it was very clear throughout the football game just how big, how strong they were, and they got the better of the best offensive line in college football this season. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, what can you say about them, right? What they did in that offensive line for, for Michigan was truly impressive. Going into this football game, the one thing that I really wanted to, to see was for me, I think really good defenses, it's easier to stop a passing attack when you have guys that can do it, obviously, right? When you have corners like Will Johnson, Wallace, right? Nichols like Sanders still, right? Uh, safeties like Moore. But what, what I thought was interesting about this matchup is Washington had the tougher task of being able to, can you condense your defense? Can you keep your run fits consistently? Can you keep the gap contained properly against a really good physical running football team, and then ultimately tackle well. This is a team that gave up a ton of yards in the running game throughout the season and also was one of the worst tackling teams in the country as well throughout the year with like over 70 missed tackles on the season. So that was a big thing for me, right, is I thought Michigan would be able to expand and slow down the high explosive passing attack of Washington, whereas I thought Washington – would have a difficult, more difficult time of condensing their defense, playing in the mud, so to speak, with the Michigan Wolverines and doing a great job of containing their running attack. And I said in the pregame show, would not be shocked if Blake Corum ran for 150 yards in this football game. He got to 132. So if I was Vegas and I was the over-under, I just missed that one but a little bit, right? But Donovan Edwards also rushed for 100. And that was what was cool, too, right? The depth of the running back position, again, on that side of the football. Donovan Edwards, a guy that we know is very good. He's a very explosive. He's a tough runner, too, as well. Guy hasn't gotten a lot of carries this season. But what I loved about it, though, because he didn't get a lot of carries, man, he looked fresh. He looked fast. He looked explosive on the field when he had those two touchdowns to open up the game, right? And there were explosive plays for over 40 yards. So that was amazing, too. 
but just the constant wear and tear against that Washington defense, I think really was ultimately what, what beat them too. You know, and that was what was interesting is that Michigan was dominating the football game. They go for it on fourth. They try to throw a quick out there right before half. You know, and that's a, a time in the game, too, where I, I thought it was the right call to go for it on fourth down for Michigan. The score at the time was 17-3, to right? And the one disagreement I have with it is, one, I would rather on that fourth down situation just – Go to one of your running plays that have been super effective throughout that game. Get the football into the hands of your best football players, right? Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards at that time and your offensive line. Or even J.J. McCarthy in a running aspect. The one thing that, that disappointed me with the quick out is like, all right, they needed three. They tried to run a four-yard route. I would have rather seen them run the football or take a shot down the field. Double move or just literally just throw a go route one-on-one. Something that they don't do a lot of. But in those type of situations, can't just uh, try to get the exact amount with the perfect time precision pass. Uh, it was great defense by Jabbar Muhammad, who's one of the better defenders for Washington in that secondary. But just the play call, thought it wasn't the right one at that moment. Other than that, I thought Sean Moore called a fantastic game. After that missed opportunity, though, that's where Washington went down on an 11-play drive, 61 yards, scored the touchdown, right, and made it 17-10. to now it's a different game. Now with Michigan dominating the entire football game, it's like, wow, here they are just down one score. But ultimately, I feel like what was kind of the, the cap of the game, really, uh, and there was many, many opportunities after this, but just to start the second half with the interception by Michael Penix to me was, was kind of like, man, it's going to be hard to overcome that mistake. They almost did at times, but the defense by Michigan – you know, there were so many throws that before contested catches by this Washington uh, receiving core, this was uh, just a true display of just fantastic defense, right, and defensive technique. How many punch-outs we saw from this Michigan defense, right, on catches that typically were made all year by these Washington receivers. You know, Roma Dunze, he had a solid day. He really did. He was pretty pretty, uh, you know, consistent as far as getting his hands on the football. He had five receptions for 87 yards, average 17 a catch. Jack Westover, one of the, the unsung heroes of this football team, very good little player, a tight end, that does a really good job of catching and running after the catch. Had a few good catches here in this one. But it's Jalen Polk and, and Jalen McMillan with, you know, I, I feel like they were the ones that kind of had to step up a little bit extra in this football game, make some big plays when they needed to. And it seemed like the defense of Michigan did a great job of condensing them consistently throughout the game, knocking footballs out of their hands on big third down conversions. So a lot of missed opportunities. There was the hold late, questionable call by some fans. You know, uh, I thought that for the most part, the refs did a good job of staying out of the game too, not calling too many things, uh, especially in a big time game like that. Big Phil, though, wanted to mention though, and if he was here, he definitely would talk about this a little bit more, just – he really thinks that, you know, Michael Penix was a really good quarterback. He was a little concerned, though, with just kind of like his get-out-of-jail-free card technique that he does, right, where it's just kind of lean back, drop your arm, throw it sidearm. He does think that going forward, that is something that he has to improve at the NFL level more so. And what does he want to see? He wants to see him kind of just get through the football better, right? Not always fade back. We heard this criticism that Big Phil said about Jordan Love earlier in the year about, you know, his, 
his crutch is always to lean back and kind of throw it up like that. He thinks at times he needs to do a better job of staying level and driving through the throw more and not always leaning back. He does think that that will be somewhat of a detriment to him at the next level and something that he will have to improve upon. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Michigan was just all over them, right? You could see that Michael Penix was extremely uh, uncomfortable in the pocket, right? A little jumpy at times too, right? Because he just wasn't sure about himself, what he was seeing, what he was actually feeling too in the pocket. You could see that there was an issue with that. It was a concern for Big Phil. It's a concern for me, but I'm not going to take away too, though, the two years of great success that he has had with Washington. It's hard for me, you know, as an evaluator to use one game when I've seen two years of him throwing for 9,000 yards, you know, and, and the amount of touchdowns that he's been through, you know, and what he's accomplished to then say, well, when he played against the best team that he's ever seen in his life, you know, and a team that was clearly better than his team to then disregard or, or to, you know, use that against him, you know, as a negative, you know, for the next level. And I think we've seen this so many times, too, uh, throughout the NFL, throughout college, that a lot of quarterbacks, they get criticism or the credit uh, depending on how good their team is. You know, I mean, Jalen Hurts a year ago, MVP. Same team this next season. You know, relatively the same team. Offense and defense aren't playing as well. Jalen Hurts is also struggling, too. So we know that they're capable of doing it, right? We know that they're good players, but – at times, when you are the quarterback, you do kind of fall victim to what is going on with your team and how they're performing at that current moment. So I am not going to uh, you know, take away anything that I said about Michael Penix a week ago about how I think he's one of the – or what Big Phil said too, especially about how he's one of the best throwers that I've ever seen. I think that Michael Penix is a really, really interesting draft, draft prospect. I still think that he's probably like my second favorite quarterback in this upcoming draft. And, you know, for me, I think that his experience is adversity that he's been through. I know the injuries are a real concern for people, too, as well. But I do think that he is a generational talent as far as a thrower. And I think that his will and his determination and toughness, to me, are also a really big part, too, of what I want to see in my franchise quarterback going forward. So uh, not going to uh, take away anything from Michael Penix because he struggled against the best college defense uh, the best defense in college football and one of the best football teams in college football and probably, you know, as we've seen, is the best team in college football. Uh, Jim, Jim Harbaugh, I mean, let's just face it too. Dude's out, right? He's going to the NFL. And Big Phil and I had discussed a few times what is the next step for J.J. McCarthy, right? Does he leave or does he stay? He's definitely someone that hasn't gotten enough experience at the college level to me as far as being ready to be in the NFL. He wasn't asked to throw a lot. He wasn't even asked, a lot, uh, asked to throw a lot in this national championship game. 18 attempts, he went 10 of 18. He did really well as far as making big plays when he needed to to kind of keep his team on pace. He had one big drop late in the game that really would have been a good sealer of the football game and keeping the clock running in favor of Michigan. But for me, I think he needs more just time on task. Now, when Jim Harbaugh leaves – I would probably tell J.J. McCarthy, you should probably leave with him, right? Only under, though, that just, hey, Jim, draft me late in the draft because I won't be someone that's highly touted. Now, 
he's going against a lot of really talented quarterbacks in this upcoming draft. I mean, so we got Caleb Williams, we got Drake May, we got Michael Penix, we got Bo Nix, right? I don't know exactly how evaluators or guys like Mel Kuyper see where J.J. McCarthy fits into this whole big sphere of quarterbacks, but I would not be shocked if Jim Harbaugh was the guy that drafted him in the, uh, in next year's upcoming draft when he gets situated in whatever situation he is. Because I do think J.J. has more uh, ability than what we've seen so far at Michigan. You know, Big Phil and I both think that he is a strong arm quarterback. He's a good athlete. He's tough. He's a good leader. He's, he's actually above average athlete. I think he moves extremely well. And I think with just more experience, more practice, tightening up his throwing motion too, which I think is a little too long, and this is why he throws it either super high or super low on some of those misses that he had uh, in that football game in the national championship. But I do think that there is a lot to like about J.J. McCarthy and what he can bring to the table. So he would be, uh, to me, a great you know, third quarterback that you groom to ultimately be your backup or one day become your starting quarterback. You know, that's something that Big Phil and I had discussed on the show before. Teams need quarterbacks. Over 60 quarterbacks have started NFL games this year. You can't have enough good quarterbacks on your roster. This is a guy who's been through a lot. He's done a great job of really being the epitome of what Harbaugh is trying to do in Michigan and just understanding the program, what is asked of him, and he's done that. So I think this is something that, you know, teams should look at and consider when evaluating him. And this is also why, too, I would find it, you know, wouldn't find it in any way strange if Harbaugh decided to draft him somewhere in this NFL draft uh, next season. So we're going to transition now into the NFL talk here real quick. And since it's me, I won't go too long today because you guys don't want to hear just me talking. Uh, even though I'm, I've been talking straight for 21 minutes already, so that just tells you that I am my father's son. So uh, right now, though, a little quick reminder. Let's see what our, our picks were for a week ago with me and Big Phil. I, I had it here somewhere in my notes, and you know me. I love rubbing this in for, for Big Phil. Uh, so I'm 27 and 14 on the year. Big Phil is 23 and 18 on the year. Uh, we did a good job this last week kind of splitting a few games. Uh, it was a good week of NFL football, and we're going to kind of preview now just playoff football here uh, this upcoming week, the wild card weekend, which is uh, always an exciting time in the NFL. And here I'm going to actually go to Big Phil's notes here too because he wanted to make sure that I, that I had this stuff. He said he was on fire watching a film this week. He was ready to go. He was excited. He has so much stuff to share with me, and, uh, and yet he's not here. So the one thing that he thought was really interesting right about the Houston Texans uh, last week and then also leading up into this week is that they are going out of their way to try and protect C.J. Stroud in the pocket as much as they possibly can. A lot of max protections, a lot of two and three tight ends in the football game where they're keeping him in, trying to help their offensive line, trying to bolster that offensive line to slow down the pass rush and to also take those you know, two receiver concepts and be aggressive down the field at the same time. The one aspect of that too, though, is that Cleveland is a more aggressive defense. They're a better defense, but he thinks that Cleveland's aggressiveness will be uh, something that the Texans hopefully can exploit in that football game. So he thinks that the Texans will do a good job of trying to stay patient with the running game, 
trying to protect C.J. Stroud as much as they possibly can in obvious passing situations, but then also Cleveland and Jim Schwartz being somewhat more aggressive than most defenses, he does think that occasionally that will allow the Texans to make explosive plays. So he looks forward to seeing that matchup as far as the Houston Texans offense and their offensive line particularly versus the Cleveland Browns and just the, the multiple ways that they attack the quarterback as far as being aggressive with linebackers and also pressures from the secondary. The other cool thing that I think uh, to look forward to this game too is that just, I mean, Joe Flacco, what he's done with these Browns and all that stuff, it's, it's, we can't commend it enough right, for what he's done. This is a guy that's gotten it done in the playoffs too a lot of times. So what will the Houston Texans do right, to slow down the Browns? You know, and I think the biggest thing really to look at this game will be just the turnover battle, right? And I know that's like a cliche thing to say, but just can you force Joe Flacco to throw, you know, a few turnovers, especially early in that football game to gain some momentum? You know, that'll be big. It really will be. Now, the cool thing about Joe Flacco and Steven, uh, Kevin Stefanski, excuse me, is that even when they do make mistakes – Stefanski doesn't shy away from it either. He continues to be aggressive throwing the football down the field with him, and his accuracy down the field has been tremendous. So that'll be something to look forward to, too, in that game. Who can win that turnover battle? If C.J. Stroud can protect the football against an overly aggressive defense, if the Texans can force some early turnovers against Joe Flacco and just gain that momentum and force him to be in a pass-happy type of attack always, I do think that that plays into the hands of the Texans just a little bit in this upcoming matchup. The next game that we're going to cover is going to be the Steelers versus the Bills. Steelers versus the Bills, to me, is another interesting matchup, too. The Steelers are the best and worst 10-7 football team that I've ever seen. It's really cool, too, for Mason Rudolph. This is a guy that, to me, like I've been doubting him, you know, almost his entire career. I really have. And, it, you know, and you know that's, that's just part of the game, too, right, is that sometimes you just, you know, you just don't see it with certain players. And for a long time, I just feel like I didn't see it, right? But – this is another guy that has been waiting his turn on the bench. He's been getting reps. He's been going to practice. He's been getting better. He's had experience on the field where he has failed. And in this case, just like the, the Michigan Wolverines, he has learned from those failures. He's gotten better. He's improved as a passer. And recently you see just how strong he stays in the pocket, how aggressively he throws it down the field. And I think that's what's exciting, too, for these Pittsburgh Steelers and this offense right now is that with him at quarterback, they've been way more aggressive down the field. They're completing way more passes down the field. And he's just done a great job of just weathering the storm and playing tough when he needs to. The Buffalo Bills, on the other hand, though, and this is something that Big Phil you know, really finds interesting, is T.J. Watt is out. And he thinks that that's not like a big deal. It's a huge deal. He really thinks that T.J. Watt not being in the lineup will really affect the Pittsburgh Steelers and how they affect Josh Allen. He really has a hard time of seeing Josh Allen struggling against this Pittsburgh Steelers defense without him on the football field. The other aspect that he really likes, too, is that Buffalo has the ability to adapt and to win in a lot of different ways. We've seen it that they can either be super aggressive in the run game and win at the line of scrimmage, or when they need to, be super aggressive in the passing game like we saw last week against the Miami Dolphins. So the great thing is, is that I think this team really does believe in themselves, the Buffalo Bills. They understand that they have multiple ways to win. And Joe Brady's the offensive coordinator, I feel like, has shown some flexibility to be able to understand what each individual game entails and what is needed to get the victory ultimately for this football team. 
So one thing that we, we really have to consider, though, too, right, for the Buffalo Bills is just, you know, their depth at the defensive line. The depth of the defensive line, you know, in Big Phil's eyes to him is very important. He does think that because they have a good rotation of about seven to eight guys on their defensive line, that this will play a favor into them as far as being aggressive consistently throughout the game, McDermott being able to do, you know, the multiple things that he does defensively and then hopefully slow down this Pittsburgh Steelers offense, especially being at home, which will be a big one. So now Miami-Kansas City. This one's an exciting matchup to me. I really look forward to this one. Uh, I, I think it's one of the more interesting matchups, especially, too, because we're getting uh, a rematch of a game that we saw earlier in the year that was a really good football game. 21-14 was the original score the first time that they played, and it really took a last-minute heroic stand by the Kansas City defense to stop Miami in this game. Miami on the road. Florida team, it looks like the temperature is going to be really, really bad. Can Tua still be uh, accurate? Can they still be really good at throwing the football down the field in, you know, adverse cold conditions? This is something that, you know, is, again, probably another cliche of just warm teams not playing great in cold weather games. You know, a lot of that is true, right, because you're just not used to that environment as, as you normally would be. So something to keep an eye on for that one is just is Tua and that passing game as effective. I think Kansas City and teams most recently against the Miami Dolphins have done a great job of taking away the middle of the field against them, where typically most of their explosive passes come from. So can Miami throw the football outside the numbers? Are they even willing to throw the football outside the numbers and, and winning some of those matchups on the outside? Be very tough against this Spagnuolo-led defense of the Kansas City Chiefs, who I think are one of the better defenses in the NFL. So that'll be a big, interesting one. Both teams, and this is something that Big Phil and I both agree on, need to be patient in the running game. Kansas City, you're a defense running type of football team now with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and your play action and just kind of making the few plays when you need to, right? So don't shy away from that, right? That has to be the core of who you are. Big Phil also sees that same sentiment, though, from the Miami Dolphins. They need to be patient in the run game as well in this one. They need to understand that they, you know, will probably not be able to be as consistent, as explosive in the passing game, especially over the middle against this Kansas City Chiefs defense. So they need to be patient in the running game. And, you know, that'll be something that's very interesting because I know, you know, McDaniel them, he struggles with that occasionally. He thinks that a rush for two or three, you know, it's almost kind of like he feels like he's losing yards where he kind of just – he needs to be more aggressive that way. So it, this, to me, is another low-scoring football game, another interesting matchup. Kansas City, you know, being at home, got to give them that slight edge, especially, too, with the weather and the conditions that they'll be facing. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This one is fascinating to me, too. Want to give the slight edge to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? One, because they're home. Two, because they got Todd Bowles. And I feel like Todd Bowles is going to watch that New York Giants film from a week ago where the New York Giants were, you know, just all over the Philadelphia Eagles. Physically, blitzing from the everywhere, really did a great job of slowing down the passing game, really did a great job of winning at the line of scrimmage, getting hits on the quarterback. Ultimately, Jalen Hurts leaves that football game with a dislocated finger. And I could see Todd Bowles doing that exact same thing again here this week against the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Just being super aggressive, blitz happy, getting after the quarterback. The Eagles offense, Big Phil continues to complain about it. It's stagnant. 
There's no shifts. There's no motions. There's no creativity. It's very college-like to me where it's just like, here's our formation, here's the play, and that's it. And to me, as the season has gone along, teams have gotten better at defending them. It's harder for them to create explosive plays. And even though they have two receiver ones at the receiver position, even though they have the best offensive line in the NFL, this again is goes to just like the coaching has not been what it has been in the past two years for the Philadelphia Eagles. The coaching has been subpar for this football team. And that's where even though that they have the Johnnies and Joes on their football team to get it done, the X's and O's are just not good enough on that side of the ball, on either side of the football, really. The defense and the offense, to me, just are not as sharp and as physical as they were uh, the last two seasons leading up to this one. So that'll be a big one for me, and that's why I give the slight edge to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even though Baker Mayfield playing banged up, being at home will be big. Todd Bowles and that defense will be big, causing turnovers, causing havoc for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I just feel like the Bucs kind of just believe in themselves a little bit more at this point in the year. I feel like they they understand who they are. I think that they really can just get it done for this one week, especially being at home. The last one of the more interesting game, I think, to me uh, through through this, well, they're all interesting, and this is why I love Wild Card Weekend, is the Rams and the Lions. I mean, and let's just face it, it's Jared Goff versus Matt Stafford. And the question will really be, can the Lions slow down Matt Stafford and Kyron Williams in this explosive, powerful offense? Because – these dudes really know how to move the football. Sean McVay, one of the best coaching jobs that he's ever done, I think, in his career from a team that Big Phil has mentioned on this show, one of the worst, you know, quote-unquote rosters in the NFL. He has done a great job of making it work, finding where people fit in really well, and making explosive plays consistently throughout the game is huge. That game also, too, being on the road, don't think it's a huge detriment to the Rams. Now, that environment will be crazy, you know, at Ford Field, uh, they are going to be going nuts, especially against their former quarterback. But I think being in a dome plays into the favor, though, of the Rams offense, their passing attack, and then being able to essentially stay on course, though, too, not having to battle against, you know, the weather conditions like we see in the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs game. So the big question will really be, you know, who can win this shootout? Which defense will step up? Which defense will create the big turnovers? I have more faith in Raheem Morris and Sean McVay and their coaching staff to create more havoc on the Detroit Lions than I do the other way around. I just don't think the Detroit Lions have enough dudes on the defense to really slow down this Los Angeles Rams offense in any way. So I expect a big day from Matt Stafford coming back to Detroit. I expect a big day from Kyron Williams and him running the football consistently. Would not be shocked if Kyron Williams runs for 110 yards in this football game. Really wouldn't because I think he's a tough physical runner and he is the type of runner that you don't want to see in playoff football, but the type of guy that you absolutely do want on your team when you come and play football, uh, playoff football. So I do give a slight edge to the Rams in that one. And that's why we're going to transition here now to the picks. Real quick show here today. Let's see how we're doing here on the time. But uh, 34 minutes, all right, doing pretty good. We're going to go to the picks now, and uh, we're going to start with the Browns-Texans matchup. Big Phil is taking the Browns, going with the Houston Texans. Going with the Houston Texans in that one at home. Know it'll be difficult for them. Know they're uh, going up against a lot, but I, I don't know. It's just hard for me to pick against the Houston Texans right now. I'd say they get the win at home. Dolphins-Chiefs. Big Phil is going with the Chiefs at home. Totally get it. 
I'm just going to say, you know, I'm doing this one for Big Phil. I want to let our picks get a little bit more interesting as the year goes. I feel bad for him. It's my first time ever doing this pick thing, all that stuff with Big Phil. He's got all that years of experience of watching film and doing this stuff on TV and the media, and I'm just kicking his ass in picks. So I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins on the road to get the big upset. Um, Even though I really do think that the Chiefs will win this one, I'll still pick the Dolphins for the sake of Big Phil and making it interesting. Uh, even though he'd be like, oh, oh Matt, don't do that. That's, that's BS. I don't want to hear that pity shit. Uh, but, hey, that's all right. That's what I'm doing. Steelers-Bills. We're both going with the Bills in this one. I just do, I think they're the better football team. I think they're the, the, you know, at this point, I just think Josh Allen's one of the best football players in the NFL. And I think at the end of the day, it doesn't even matter if he throws six interceptions. He's going to make the six plays that he needs to to win the football game. So I'm picking Josh Allen on the Bills. So is Big Phil. Cowboys-Packers, another interesting one. We're both going with the Cowboys in this one. Think better football team overall, better offense, better defense. You know, Jordan Love's been playing really well. Be hard for them to throw the ball, I think, as effectively as it has been against this Cowboys defense. Dan Quinn, have faith in him being able to create pressure against this Green Bay Packers offensive line and uh, and get after Jordan Love consistently. And then also, too, I think just, you know, the Packers defense – this is this is going to be a day where I think Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, they really shouldn't be slowed down at all. I think they'll be able to do whatever they want at will against this Packers defense in this one. So both going with the Cowboys. Rams-Lions, me and Big Phil both have the Rams in this one. Big Phil, uh, you know, he just thinks that they're the better football team as far as what I said earlier with the coaching, with their explosive nature on offense. Sean McVay doing a great job of understanding how to take advantage of coverages. And then I just think ultimately Matt Safford will make the few plays too with Kyron Williams to win this football game. And then Bucks eagles we're both taking the Bucks at home. And really for the same recipe that I said earlier, I think the Bucks and Todd Bowles will be extremely aggressive. They'll be able to slow down this inept Eagles offense. And it'll be a real struggle for them uh, to really generate points. So I'm giving them home field advantage in that one. So that's all for us here at Sims Complete here today. A quick show. Uh, did, you know, just don't want to keep you listening to me and my you know, stuffy nose here all day. But we appreciate you tuning in again. Hopefully Big Phil will be back next week because he'll have a lot to say next week. Looking good over there, Invisible Phil. And uh, we will see you guys, and you'll listen to us again next week. We appreciate it. Sims Complete out. And as we always say, and the wise word of Coach Toll, hey, 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 toodles, okay, toodles. We'll see you later. Thank you again. Sims Complete out.